Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the SaaS Marketing Show. This week, we are joined by GP, who is the head of global demand gen at Freshworks, um, specifically in the Freshworks CRM team. This was a cool interview, actually, because we switched up and started talking about the enterprise market within SaaS marketing. I think a number of our recent podcasts have been focused on kind of mid-market, early stage SaaS companies. Uh, But today we talked about enterprise marketing and specifically how Freshworks CRM have used storytelling to hit a $32 cost per lead for enterprise prospects. We talk about their content approach here um, and GP and I also just had some fairly frank conversation around how we view cost per lead data in enterprise marketing, how we view the value of a ebook download, a webinar registration, a video view, for example. And uh, he shared behind the scenes some of the things that they're doing to ensure and focus on their marketing campaigns converting to closed one enterprise revenue. He gave tips around the kind of metrics we should be focusing on, actually some great platform and tooling recommendations as well. So I know you're going to find this one enjoyable for sure. Um, Now let's quickly thank our sponsor. That is Restream. So a big thank you to Restream for supporting the SaaS marketing show since day one. If you are a B2B SaaS marketer and you're doing some of the things that GP talked about on today's episode, like running webinars, running um, video focused events, you should think about factoring in live streaming into your strategy. It's going to be a great way that you can connect on a deeper level with your audience and Restream makes it extremely simple to do that. So if you want to check it out, go to restream.am forward slash Dylan. That's restream.am forward slash Dylan. And there will be a special $10 credit added to your account uh, if you do decide to purchase one of their paid plans. So big thank you to Restream. A big thank you to you for listening to this, for potentially watching this. We've got a lot of exciting episodes coming up. Uh, If this is your first time listening to the SaaS Marketing Show, go ahead and check back some of the previous episodes once you're done with this one. We have a collection of over 30 of them now. And if you do enjoy today, go ahead and leave a rating. I'm not expecting you to leave a full written review. If you can just go and leave a rating in the podcast app that you're listening to this on, press five stars if you're feeling nice. It'll take you two seconds and it makes sure that more SaaS marketers will get access to this podcast. Uh, And if you really enjoy it, please feel free to share it with another SaaS marketer. So today, once more, we are going to be talking with GP from Freshworks about how Freshworks are using storytelling to hit lower CPLs for enterprise prospects. Maybe you give a quick overview as to a bit more about yourself and your team at Freshworks CRM. I know that a big portion of listeners actually to the SaaS marketing show will be aware of you guys already. We have a lot of listeners in the Indian like SaaS space too. We've had people like Chargebee on the podcast in in previous times, like lots of great companies there. So I know that I my my gut is telling me probably 75% of people listening to the show will know who Freshworks are, but maybe just from a top level for anyone that doesn't give a quick overview to Freshworks and Freshworks CRM, I think it'd be a great place to to get started. Sure. For those of you who don't know, Freshworks is a B2B SaaS company, and we market customer experience and employee experience solutions to both small businesses and mid-market and enterprise accounts. And we are growing. So we have about 3,000 plus employees across the globe, and we have offices in San Mateo, 
Berlin and Chennai in India, where there's a large team that sits up. Awesome. Yeah, thank you. And so we're going to talk specifically about the enterprise enterprise prospects and how you guys have been using storytelling to hit this $32 cost per lead. But before we get to that, like from a Freshworks uh, CRM perspective, like how, what's the breakdown like of how many customers are enterprise versus like smaller? Like what does that look like? Yeah, it's a great question. So for Freshworks CRM, a majority of our customers are small enterprise and commercial is something we define as uh, 250 to 500. But we have seen a lot of traction even from enterprise accounts. And that really gave us the confidence over the last one year to go all out and, and spend dollars in terms of marketing to those customers and getting even more prospects on board. So heavily skewed towards a small business and commercial, but we, we see very high velocity moving into enterprise. Okay, cool. That makes sense. And what does your marketing team, like what does the team around you look like? Because I know, as you touched on earlier, the sheer size of Freshworks is a huge business. So maybe like carving down into Freshworks CRM and then your team, what does marketing look like for you? Sure. My marketing team is divided into two broad pods. The first is the team that markets to SMB. And the second is one that markets to mid-market and enterprise. And the reason we have them divided in such a way is because the go-to-market motions are fairly different. The former is heavily inbound-led, the, the latter is primarily outbound-led. And therefore, the skill set, one would assume, is also fairly different. In my team, I have, I have people who lead content marketing. Then there are campaign managers and campaign specialists. And then there are sales enablement specialists who work closely with the SDR team to enable them to sell better. In fact, the KPIs of both these teams are also different. My, my SMB team is responsible for driving trials and signups. And my mid-market team is responsible for uh, generating marketing influence pipeline. Got it. That's cool. And that makes sense. Cause like I, one thing that's coming up more and more in kind of enterprise focused conversations, like you and I were just talking before we hit record about another SaaS podcast that I would recommend people listening to this check out if they haven't done so already, which is Chris Walker from Refine Labs, their podcast. I think it's called the Demand Generation Show or something similar. So like he talks about this a lot on his show um, about how he truly believes that marketers should be more focused towards like closed one revenue or pipeline generated rather than just like the top level metrics of how many MQ or, or ebook downloads have happened and stuff like that. I know it's not always quite as simple as he frames it because it's, I know that the way Chris frames it sometimes is very much focused on, I don't want to say trying to get a reaction from people, but I know he likes to take a very firm stance, right? In order to generate more conversation. And I'm sure he truly believes in what he, in what he says, but it's, I know from working with multiple enterprise focused companies that there has to be a split like in order to get more closed one revenue from marketing, you have to focus on the other metrics earlier on in the funnel too. But it's interesting to hear how how you guys have things set up. Now we're going to be talking today about a specific kind of a specific project, or I don't know if you guys define it as like a project or an experiment or something that you were running over the last year or so where you've been able to achieve increased, like significantly higher lead volume than what the target was for this, for this pipeline coverage that you'd set, but also generated high engagement, which helped you get pretty low cost per lead. So we'll, we'll jump into that. But before we do, what do you classify as a lead when we're about to start talking about some of these numbers? Is that like a download of a piece of content? Is it a someone getting on a call? Is it someone matching certain criteria? What's, the, what's your kind of lead classification look like within this enterprise segment? Sure. The way our funnel works is we define lead as someone who's downloaded an ebook or attended a webinar. So essentially, it's a contact capture. 
The next stage is we score these leads uh, and feed them into a bucket which has a model. The model is essentially a function of uh, profile fit, which is firmographics, demographics, etc. Engagement. So if that lead has engaged with you in the past and what kind of content has that lead engaged you with? And the third is intent. So have they shown intent on the general web in terms of purchasing your category or any such interest, uh, which is slightly more bottom funnel. Uh, that's, that would be our auto MQLs. And the next phase, of course, is SQLs and then the pipe and then the deal, of course. So that, that's really how uh, our funnel operates. Cool. What kind of systems are you guys using or tooling to help you with that? That like technographic, firmographic data? Are you using something like Clearbit or are you using different tools? I know that you guys have so many products within the Freshworks, like ecosystem. So I wasn't sure whether it was something that you guys use yourself. Like, How do you help throughout that process? Sure. So for firmographic and, and TAM analysis, we use a combination of ZoomInfo and LeadSpace. And, and that gives us a bunch of uh, you know, micro segments to operate on in terms of targeting, uh, account creating account books for our sales teams and whatnot. And we, of course, connect that to our own systems, which is our CRM and marketing automation tools. Yeah. And do you have, because I know that the discussion that we're going to be having, like some of the points you shared with me ahead of this, like you clearly have a good grip on your data and your numbers, which is really important. Now, one thing that I wanted to ask is, and I'm having these conversations more with like the more enterprise focused businesses that we work with at Hey Digital, my agency, and also just like podcast interviews and everything else. And I'll, I'll bring up Chris Walker's podcast again, just because it's fresh in my mind. Cause I was listening to it, I think yesterday morning when I was taking a walk and he, he was talking about, and he talks about this on LinkedIn too, how so many people in the enterprise space are focused on like cost per lead metrics, which are usually ebook downloads, content downloads, webinar registrations, which is totally what we do with a number of our clients as well. But he was, he, he always talks about seeing that how difficult it can be to convert some of those into actually closed one revenue. And I, I think that varies depending on business, like which business you speak to and how much of a grip they do have on their data. Because some of the enterprise companies that we work with, it's like we're focusing on these on these metrics like ebook downloads, webinar registrations for some of these campaigns, but we're also constantly looking at how that affects opportunities open and close one, close one revenue. So in order to do that, you have to have quite a tight grip on your data and the different systems that you're using. Like how, how do you feel about that conversation? Because I'm sure when you hear things like that, it probably... Like our, our whole focus of today's podcast is about how you've been able to generate low CPLs for some of these content pieces. So what was your opinion on those discussions that are becoming more frequent within the like SaaS marketing space over the last few months about like how valuable actually is a content download or a webinar registration? I'm interested to get your thoughts on that. that that's a touchy topic, right? Of course, most marketers have very different views on, on this one. Yeah. I feel that it's a journey and it's like a continuum. It, uh, talking about leads and talking about pipeline, these are not two discrete topics for any organization for different categories of product. This is a journey that one has to take, starting from focusing on lead gen into pipeline gen. So that's my view there. And I do believe that lead gen with the right scoring tools, especially for enterprise accounts, is a great leading indicator of how your campaign is going to perform and what's your conversion going to be when it into pipeline and eventually deals. So... Uh, my view is if you are able to marry these two things together, which is top of funnel lead gen, great scoring model, and then eventually feeding that into your pipeline and eventually deals, you'll see a far, uh, you see a far more evolved and sophisticated way of thinking about lead gen and campaign gen. Yeah, and I think this is now going to tie into some of the strategy that we're about to discuss because in order to, in order to help 
in order to help those people that download ebooks, register for webinars, give their information for something, like the rate at which they transition to getting on a call, purchasing the product is going to depend on so many things, right? Because like the when, when someone downloads an ebook or signs up for a webinar, their intent isn't to to get onto a demo call. Like their intent is to get the piece of content that you're offering to them. And so the what the focus of that piece of content is then going to have an impact on what the quote unquote like quality of leads is. Because if, if you're giving out a content download, which actually isn't the kind of thing that's going to be that useful to the people that you then want to have on the calls with your sales team later on, or it's not adding value to them as individuals, or it's not like a binge-worthy piece of content that they really want to read and engage with. I think that's probably one of the mistakes where a lot of these people are having this discussion online right now about, but what really is the value of an ebook download or a webinar registration? And I think it's because usually people are just throwing together ebooks or reports or webinars with not actually thinking, oh, but how is this really going to help or add value to our like buyer persona, right? I think that's probably one of the challenges why people often talk about these like low ebook to webinar to demo registration flows. It's, it's something very interesting to me because like as a, I'm obviously I'm not in the enterprise like segment or market myself, but whenever I'm purchasing software or um, having conversations with service providers, I'm, if I'm registering and downloading a piece of content, I'm not doing that because I want to get on a call with them from a sales perspective. I'll do that once I, what, what, like when I want to do that. Like as marketers, we can't really influence the time it takes or when someone is ready to make that decision, but we can influence who they, which companies they remember and which ones they found value from, which ones sessions they really enjoyed tuning into. And I think that's where it becomes um, murky sometimes. But let's talk about the way that you guys have approached this. Talked about how you managed to hit an all-time like low in your cost per lead and how you achieved a significantly higher lead volume than what the target was for this for this project or this this growth experiment that you're running. So maybe give an overview as to like where you guys were at when you started this and then we can start talking about what this campaign looked like because I know we have three or four core pillars that we're going to break down. So do you want to give a quick rundown of hey this is what we this is where we're at before with our content efforts and our like lead generation efforts and this is how we decided to approach that and then we'll get to the specifics. Sure. I'll probably start with providing a context around the category that we operate in. CRM as a category, as we all know, is a red ocean category. It has got about 500 plus vendors in the market. And therefore, any tangible product differentiation that you, you know, take into the market, uh, you, a smaller prayer need, really needs to outspend the larger behemoths if you know, your prospects pay to listen to you. And that's impossible given the kind of companies that are around you. And I think that's where the role of marketing becomes even more critical to create that perceived differentiation. So the, the three elements around any large scale campaign, which is what is your campaign theme or the set of creatives? What is your distribution plan? And then finally, what is your end to end prospect journey? How do you get all of these three things working together well is what really determines the success of this campaign. Uh, so that by far was the sort of biggest learning and the context around the campaign. Back in 2020, early on, we were we really wanted to go all out in, in talking to mid-market and enterprise accounts. And we realized that we needed differentiation when it came to what campaign do we go with and the kind of distribution channels uh, 
in terms of identifying possible white spaces, less saturated channels where the competition is not present in. In fact, even at formats that the competition perhaps is not using more. And then finally, defining and crafting an end-to-end prospect journey. That was really the context. Our ambition and aspiration was to go after mid-market enterprise accounts. Clearly, what they needed was very different from what small business customers would need. And then based on that, we took a step back and really designed the overall 360 integrated campaign. Yeah, that makes sense. And so how did that begin? So it's like quite, as you said, like the red ocean market that you're in with so many CRM companies, et cetera, like you have to find something that makes you not necessarily stand out, but is is different. And so you talked about the different ads, for example, different ad types, different emotions to lead with. Like, but how did you get to the point of identifying what those would be? And like, talk a little bit about exactly what that looked like for you guys, if you're comfortable to, to share that. Great question. So we started with the prospect. We were talking to the sales persona and we really wanted to understand their pain points. The first step to thinking about any form of content. And the challenge was to map that with what our product offers. Because like we discussed earlier, you need to connect your ebook or a report or a white paper to your bottom funnel content. And if that connection is in there, leads are a waste. So it, it was important for us to tightly bind all of those content pieces together. And that could only happen if you are really talking to your prospect's pain point. So our starting point was that. Now, if you look at our competition, they're all talking about functional parameters. They would be talking about price to how it makes your life easy, ease of use and whatnot. We, we are all that and more. But the fact that, but the fact is we, we probably wanted to talk about that, but really wanted to talk about some emotional aspects and then draw them in and then talk about all the functional aspects and the greatness about the product. We realized, we spoke to in a bunch of sales leaders across the globe, that what really mattered to them was, and something that they talk, spoke about every single day, was the motivation of their teams. So sales motivation, in fact, even if you look at the keyword volume of the, for the phrase sales motivations, it's incredible. And it's a shame that there is not much material or content that you have around sales motivation. So what is sales motivation? What can you do to improve sales motivation? So we realized that is a real white space and uh, we call it something different. We realized that sales leaders use the word sales culture a lot more than finance teams and marketing culture. Sales teams use the words phrase sales culture a lot more. So clearly sales culture uh, was something that's a white space theme. But the problem is sales, sales leaders are fairly data savvy. You can't go with a fluffy sounding topic like sales culture. So we decided, hey, perhaps we need to quantify what sales culture even means. So we went to a credible entity that our sales leaders, and that's some amount of media research that we did internally. We went to HBR and we asked them to conduct an experiment which had two sets of audiences. One set of audience, which, which is non-happy, which unhappy, the other set of audience, which is happy. And we really wanted to relate that to their business performance. And what we realized was that happier sales teams with happier culture have 30% higher higher performance than those that are unhappy, which is fairly intuitive. But the fact is this report really broke down what sales culture really constitutes in terms of numbers. And it was HBR. So that was our core piece of asset and the theme we made the campaign around and everything else was almost like a concentric circle around it, uh, which really built the campaign and its different legs. 
Yeah, that makes sense. And so how did you then take from this, this, I don't know whether you want to call it like a pillar piece of content, but this huge piece that everything was centered around, what were the next steps after that? Because I know we're going to talk about how you guys created this like binge worthy content experience, you called it, right? Like creating multiple different assets. Like what do those assets look like? What were you focusing on? Because I know that you focus on shipping a lot as well. So how do you, how did you go about that process? What did that look like for you guys? Sure. What we realized early on was if we had to net uh, a prospect and a visitor to our campaign landing page, we should make them consume a lot of that content, perhaps even get them coming back. And therefore, our content plan was based on that. So we decided that we need to educate our audience. We need to entertain them. We need to perhaps inform them. And then clearly, because you and I learn so differently, you might be a visual learner. I might be a text learner. We had bunch of videos from sales leaders and experts around the globe talking about how they have built happy sales teams and happy sales cultures. And, and then we had the HBR report, which is which is like a survey, detailed in-depth survey. Then we had interactive quiz. Let's say you know, a millennial sales rep wouldn't really want to read a HBR survey. They are happy taking a five-question quiz, which gives them a personalized report on what they could do to create their own happy sales team. So very different, varied formats, different kinds of content. Uh, I think when we launched the campaign, I remember we had about 16 to 17 pieces of content. And then we kept adding content pieces because we wanted that audience to come back every single week. In fact, one of the standout metrics, it was a nice leading metric to know, was that after a period of two months, 25% of the audience came back. So our percentage returning visitors to that campaign landing page was uh, 25-26%, which was a fairly healthy number for a mid-market audience where you're spending a lot more to get them to your web page. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Step one. Step two was designing an end-to-end journey. There is this huge debate around gating and ungating as well, as we know, right? And when you have 16 assets, you can't have them drop their contact details for every single of those assets. So we decided to choose a platform, which, so once you have... Uh, shared your contact details, the rest of the experience is absolutely seamless, even when you return. So I think the choice of the platform and curating that end-to-end journey became even more important. Number two, the third and the most critical piece was this metric uh, uh, that we devised, which for the lack of a better phrase, we called it depth of engagement per prospect, which is because you have all these visitors coming to your campaign landing page and choosing to consume different forms of content, what is the average number of content pieces that a prospect consumes? I think that was super critical for us to know because that ultimately decided on how qualified that lead is when we scored them and eventually how what proportion of them progress to pipeline inventory leads. So that was the overall plan that we had in mind before we started off. Awesome. Yeah, I have a couple of questions that I want to ask you. So what was the platform that you guys built that built that kind of content experience out on? Because I think that's going to be interesting for people listening to this. So it's a product that we work with. It's a company called Paperflight. They have this platform called Clever Story. And this is the first time we tried using that platform because it really fit our needs and we were, uh, our timeline was fairly tight and we just love the experience that they provide. Okay, cool. Yeah, thank you for sharing that because that's that's pretty interesting. Even, like, I'm just thinking right now for one of our clients that we run things for, it's like they're so great at a similar kind of approach, but where it's like they have so many different content types and there's always this gated, ungated discussion. I think that's always going to be around in marketing. But I think what you the point that you touched on about like having the 
they drop their email once and then they come back and everything's accessible. Like it's funny how challenging that can be sometimes for people to get set up or to get, and especially in a case like this, when um, you're creating this kind of, actually, when you were thinking about doing this, when you were going through the planning phase, one thing you talked about is how at the beginning you had 15, 16 pieces of content, and then you started to publish new things like every week, for example, was that always the plan from the beginning to make it this kind of series of content? Or did you realize pretty quickly that, Hey, this is something that's that's going to be beneficial if we keep going. Because I, I think about this a lot. I think that if someone knows, okay, every single week, it doesn't have to be this specific day and this specific time. But if someone knows, okay, each week we're going to get something and we know roughly when that usually is, I think that helps them return even more. Even with this podcast, like when um, we've been trying super hard to be consistent, upload every single Monday. We had a time period during December where we didn't hit every single Monday. We we were away a little bit. And I know that when that happens, the number of people that kind of return to the show always drops a little bit. And then it just takes a little bit of time to to get them back. Was that part of the focus when you were building out this, like this project, you were thinking, okay, let's make it like a series. Or was that just something that just naturally happened anyway? I think it was uh, part of the project plan. And the reason was uh, really about the campaign theme. Now, the campaign theme, like we discussed, was how does a happy sales culture impact business performance? And this is an evergreen topic, right? And especially with COVID around, there was a huge uptake around the topic. And because leaders were thinking remotely, how do you manage a remote sales team? And, And even in 2021, 2022, this topic is not going to go out of fashion. So we realized that because of this theme, it's important that we keep shipping out a lot of content because it is going to see that traction. But like you said, when we saw that traction happening and we saw that consumption happening and the depth of consumption, we probably increased our speed because I think we, we were planning for one, one additional video every two weeks, but we optimized that to one every week because of the traction that we saw. Okay. And with the metrics that you were focusing on, like you talked about the how often people returned, but then also how many videos they watch, for example, or how many pieces of content they consumed. Like I'm, I know what you guys, like what you and your team are, are like. I'm assuming that you were probably pretty active with how you were then using that data, right? Were you building out different ad campaigns for people based on the types of content they consume, the volume of content they consume? Was the sales follow-up process adjusted based on that? I would love to hear a little bit about that because I think that's one area well, maybe not in 2020. I feel like maybe in 2019, the big like SaaS B2B marketing thing was everyone talking about how important personalization is. And so I, I'm not in one boat or the other. I think that personalization is can be very powerful and very useful. But I think some people almost try and take it too far. However, what I see within the advertising campaigns that we're running for SaaS businesses is once we can become very segmented with our data, not just our like the the data that we're using in terms of okay the different pages they viewed or the content they consumed but then also even the level of conversions that we have so instead of just having sign up conversion and demo booking conversion like having all these other conversions in the background too like when we have that and we utilize that in our campaigns performance becomes so much stronger so how did you utilize the data that you were collecting throughout this in either ads campaigns sales outreach i would love to know a little bit about that too it's a great question Dylan. So at a very high level, let's say if we had three different formats of content, the report, the quiz, and let's say the videos, because they they look and feel very different. That's the division that we had. And then we created multiple combinations of consumption. So someone who's consumed the report and the quiz 
versus someone who's consumed the videos and only the videos, uh, they need to be spoken to very differently. And so our retargeting, of course, you know, would be based on some of those events that we created, which is a combination of one and two or one and three or three alone. So our retargeting was based on that, like you said. Uh, our sales outreach was based on that. For example, if someone took a quiz and someone watched the video, we had access to their personalized reports because we shipped them. And so at some level, we can start that discussion. Our sales team can start that discussion with talking about where they are in their journey in terms of a sales culture, how can sales technology help you? And by the way, at some level, even referring to the kind of content that they liked or, or you know, disliked. So we did use a, a lot of that information both in terms of our marketing, which was retargeting, and also in terms of feeding that as inputs uh, into our sales discussions. That's super smart. I actually just, just before we jumped on this interview, I saw on LinkedIn, a guy called Gabriel Lim, who's a CEO at a company called Sales Whale. Like I haven't read the post yet, but I saw him drop a comment somewhere on LinkedIn today about like the blog post that they'd written about how you can utilize like polls and Q and A's on in your webinars to then use that data for better outreach when you're like chatting and engaging with people. And so this is like very similar in terms of, Hey, if you, if they've already completed this quiz, like you've learned so much more about them already, or based on the videos that they've consumed, just so much more about them. So it's like then taking that data and using it is, I think that's the part where so many marketers miss out sometimes is they put all the work into the content, but then they don't like, they don't find a system or a way to utilize it more intelligently. And I know it's probably most of the time because people's teams are either too small, they don't have the resources to be able to like figure out how to do all of that. Do you have any tips for like how you made that process a bit more, not straightforward, but like how you kept on top of that? Or are there any any tools that you were using to help support with that kind of audience creation or with the with the segmentation? Like how, how did you go about that from, yeah, with like you and your team? Sure. I, I think the need for this started from this philosophy of really hitting our marketing ROI, especially with an enterprise audience that becomes even more important given the volume of spends that you have. When you think marketing ROI, you will think segmentation automatically because you will think relevance. And, and that's the genesis of why we thought about you know, even creating these micro segments. The first step was, like I said, the choice of the platform. You need the right platform to one, provide the right customer experience zero use of friction, at the same time giving you something valuable. So it's like a win-win for both the prospect and for the brand. So that choice of platform was important. The second piece was the kind of content that you create. Now, oftentimes marketers blame channels and, you know, channels for the lack of great content. And that's not true. The content has a huge role to play and channel can really complement that very well. So it's almost, it's, it's not an either or, it's an end. And we really want to sort of, you know, do justice to that. For example, we launched, we took use of LinkedIn chat, you know, conversation ads. It, it, yeah. it launched, uh, I think, during August or September. Yeah. And we really started off with that. And we really felt that the personalized approach that this campaign has, which is based on the data that we understand, would sort of be the kind of format that LinkedIn conversation ad provides you. So some of those aspects in terms of how do you retarget differently, how do you create those campaigns, it was also done on the fly, to be honest, because we didn't realize the value of some of those formats early on. And then when our, once our experiments started scaling and we were performing well, we really started you know, putting more dollars there. Uh, the third piece was really thinking through the campaign end-to-end. -end. What would you do with those segments? Because the first instinct was to just retarget and that's about it. Then we realized the value that 
some of those micro segments might have for our salespeople because marketing is all about aggregate, sales is all, all about anecdotes, right? Uh, so it, was, it eventually became far more valuable to our sales team than it was for marketing. So these were the three, you know, sort of dis- discrete elements that we thought of uh, before the campaign and even during the campaign. That helped. Okay. And you touched, you talked about conversation ads on LinkedIn. So we've talked about those a couple of times on the podcast too. Like, were they, were they, and are they like one of those channels that you discovered that's like working very well for you guys in these kind of content led campaigns? I'm, I'm interested because this is more a question I just want to know. I, I'm sure people listening want to know as well, but so we, we run experiments with conversational ads on LinkedIn for different clients. And we, to be honest, we see very varying levels of success. I think it's, it's been very interesting to me how I, I wouldn't say we've yet figured out a process of, Hey, this is the kind of conversational ad campaign that we know is going to work. Like on our other campaigns on Facebook, on LinkedIn, on Google, it's like we have systems and processes where we know, okay, if we launch a campaign like this, like the chances of it working are pretty high. With conversational ads, I'm still trying to, like we're still figuring that out because sometimes they'll perform extremely well and sometimes they'll like nosedive. So is that one of the kind of pillars that's worked super well for you guys? Or what's your experience been like with um, with those? Yeah, conversation ads worked wonderfully well for two reasons. One was the format itself was new at that point in time. Uh, The second also was that we had planned for a sequence of content uh, within the conversation ad. It was not one content that we shared and that's about it. We We had given them multiple options and those options were also different. A video to a report and that depends on you in terms of what you want to consume. So one of these would definitely hit you, for example. The second tactic that we used was use the names of the big sales experts that we had on the video. So almost sort of using them like celebrities uh, for us. So so one is we really planned a sequence of content assets and not just one content asset that really helped. The second was smart use of some of the celebrities or the experts uh, in, in the sales world and using them as the sort of hero element in that conversation. Ad. So I think a combination of those really, really worked well for us. That said, I do believe that conversation at CPLs and the impact that it generates, I think it's almost beginning to plateau. Mm. Uh, and that's because a lot of advertisers have begun using it. So I think that's also something that we're seeing uh, today. Yeah. I also, I have seen with clients though that, it depends who we work with also because every marketer, so usually my or my team's contact point at the SaaS companies we're working with is the CMO. And so there are different kinds of CMOs, in my opinion. There are CMOs that are like very sales and lead number focused. And then there are CMOs that are a bit more understanding of, hey, this is marketing. We can't always identify which exact campaign it is that's driven this exact close one deal when we have a 12, 18 month sales cycle. There's like varying levels. But one thing I have found with the conversational ads recently is that for generating leads, like trying to get people on demos or trying to get people to book into a sales call, like very rarely does that does that work. We've stopped trying to trying to do that. But I see them actually being very cheap for like awareness because the cost to get someone to open a conversational ad right now is still very low so even if they don't press anything if they don't click on any of the buttons the the fact that they've opened that ad and like we have the 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 image space in the top right corner in their linkedin inbox too and we know that hey they may have only skimmed like the tiny little bit of this text but still if you compare that to like 
what it costs to get in front of someone in an in-feed placement ad on LinkedIn. Like we are starting to see some benefits of people getting on sales calls with our more enterprise-focused clients when they've said, oh yeah, I saw a conversational, like I got hit with a conversational ad two months ago or something. And that was the first touch point. So that's one thing that I found interesting with those. But other than that, I'm on a similar spot to you. Like we recently, uh, over the last couple of months, haven't been seeing too much success with them anymore for either content downloads directly or webinar registrations. But I think they're good for that kind of awareness play. Okay, as we, I'm going to start to, I think we should start wrapping things up round about now, GP. Is there is there anything else that you wanted to cover that you haven't shared to share? I think this has been super insightful for a lot of people who are going to be in a similar spot to either you or people who are working in marketing enterprise businesses now. I think a lot of people think, that just because they're marketing to an enterprise segment, they have to take this outdated approach of just focusing on one ebook or one white paper and not thinking about it from a whole project perspective. And I like the way that you've framed this and the way that you do that. But yeah, if there's anything else that you feel like, hey, this is one thing that I haven't said yet that I really wanted to get across, feel free because now would be a, now would be a good time. <laughs> sure. I'll probably reinforce my point about how content and media should interact in a different way. We spoke about the leading metric for this campaign, which was depth of engagement per prospect. Yeah. Now, it completely redefined the way we even approached distribution, for example. Now, uh, we realized that if this is our leading metric, we need to optimize our channel performance differently. We need to reallocate budgets to different channels differently. And we also knew that because this audience is engaging more with us, our score for those leads are also, is also improving in the back end. So I think at some level, if you're able to plan your campaign uh, and pull together your assets and have a leading metric like this, it really informs your channel planning, channel budgeting, and eventually, you know, how those leads transpire down the funnel really, really well. Yeah. What was the last question for me? What was the channel? Oh, it doesn't, maybe there wasn't one specific channel. I don't know, but like, what was the most successful kind of approach for for you guys to when you look at the metrics, when you look at the data, when you look at, okay, the people that on average either return the most times, consume the most content, were there patterns in terms of, okay, they, they were coming from LinkedIn, they were coming from Google, from Facebook, or did it just vary? Because I, I know that there's not always a straight answer. Hey, LinkedIn was the best platform, but I, I am interested if there are any kind of anomalies or, or key things that you could share there. Yeah, yeah, sure. So we invested in a couple of platforms. One was LinkedIn, the other was DV360. And we realized that the, so DV360 worked very well for us when it came to retargeting, not during the first visit, as one would imagine. And the frequency exposure on display was also far higher because it's such a cluttered space. With LinkedIn, we got a lot more success in the first visit. I think that was one big distinction that we had. Eventually, it worked well from a blended cost per lead perspective because LinkedIn is a far more expensive channel than DV360. That was the big sort of you know, anomaly or difference that we saw. Uh, in terms yep. of uh, how different channels come. And were you running campaigns on Facebook as well? Or did you not touch Facebook? Was it mainly LinkedIn and Google? LinkedIn and uh, TV360. Okay, cool. Interesting. You should you should talk with the guys, not should, it's totally up to you, but like the guys at Chargebee, when I was talking to Shri from Chargebee, who leads their demand team, they were... because. As an agency, we love to use Facebook a lot as well, even for B2B SaaS businesses that a lot of people might think, hey, it would never it would never work out. You should like 
if you haven't already done some testing, you should chat with, I, I could intro you to him afterwards too, but like Shri and what the team have done at Chargebee has been like pretty successful for Facebook as a channel. And I know a lot of it is centered around, as we talked about earlier, the kind of quality of data that you have access to. If you were to experiment with working with a tool like Clearbit ads, for example, can be really great for, or I think it's called Clearbit X now for like audience definition and things like that. And also just the wealth of data that you guys would have in the back end for audiences. I would, I don't know, like I get excited about things like that. I get excited about companies that like haven't done a ton on paid social, but I feel like it could work well for. So that would, I would be interested to see the kind of performance of that as a channel, as an experiment for you guys, because I think you can make, I think you can make it work. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I'm a believer that I do think Facebook for B2B SaaS is still a white space, unsaturated channel. Uh, and I, I think I'd love to explore that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Awesome. Thank you so much for coming on today and for sharing some of your expertise. I think this has been good. Like, it's been a little while since we had a more enterprise focused episode. So I think this is going to be really good to to mix things up a little bit and i i love having these conversations too so personally like thank you for coming on and, and joining me this has been great and I, I know a lot of people are going to find a ton of value from this so i'll make sure that in the show notes everyone can find your linkedin profile and any of the information that we discussed today and yeah this has been great so thank you so much for coming on thank you for having me on the show dylan loved it 